back here in El Paso and particularly at Coronado Baptist Church. I'm so grateful for the work that God for young people and the way He's used Dan and those who assist him in accomplishing that purpose. And just so pleased with the fact that God protected our youngsters and brought them home safely. It's great. I was planning a mission trip to Kenya and Africa, but now that I heard what Dan said, that nine of the thieves were Kenyans, I'm not sure I'm going to follow, going to follow through with that plan. Uh, we arrived back last night. We'll save another day for a report on what happened in Scotland. God did some significant things there through our team of 18 who went. I would say on the heels of what Dan had said earlier, that when we were being debriefed by the missionary, really, who oversaw our work, he said he'd never had a group like our group in, the, in his mission there in Scotland. And as he began to explain what he meant, he said, we knew that you had prayed a lot before you came. And what we said in response, yeah, we did pray, but really it was our church at home who was praying. And that's why we were able to have the joy of the Lord and the success which God gave us like he did our young people, maybe not to the degree that he did to them. The renowned playwright Arthur Miller said that the mark of excellence in a play was when the person in the audience saw in the play himself or herself and exclaimed, Oh my God, that's me. That was David's experience, which we read recently from 2 Samuel chapter 12. As Nathan the prophet came to him and spoke to him this story, and he said, you're the man. And he said, yes, I am the man. David did not deny that. David, in a sense, is every man. Every person on the planet needs pardon for sin and a pure heart. I'd like to ask you to turn to Psalm 51, which records David's response to his final recognition of his sin, his need for pardon, and also purity of heart. I'm going to begin with verse 1 of Psalm 51, and we'll read through the end of the psalm. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. and Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, 
that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. How did David get the pardon and purity that he desired and needed? He got it, first of all, by admitting it to God, that he needed it. He admitted his sin to God. Ours is a world which shuns personal responsibility for sin. I read recently about a man who was caught in the act in cocaine trafficking. He was a public figure. And in his statement to the press, once he'd been bailed out of jail, he said, I guess I've done something wrong. And in that statement, he reflected the mentality of our world. The greatest fault is believing that we have no fault whatsoever. The Bible says if we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The Bible explains why the people sometimes say they have no sins in its explanation of the human heart. The human heart is deceitful above all else is what the writer says in the book of Jeremiah. Now, what is sin? We can see what sin is in all its dimensions in the three words which David chooses here in this psalm. First of all, the word transgressions. He says to the Lord in this prayer, Lord, blot out my transgressions in the last part of verse 1. This refers to a crossing of a forbidden boundary with the knowledge that the crossing in itself is a serious act of rebellion. Did you notice what God said to David through the prophet Nathan? Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his sight? What had happened? David knew the word of the Lord. He knew the word of God said, thou shalt not kill. He knew the word of God said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But he had crossed over that border. He had transgressed the law of the Lord. Many of you know about Caesar's Gallic Wars, how Caesar was a great and powerful general in Rome. He had an agreement with the Roman Senate. And the Roman Senate said, you can have all control of everything north of the Rubicon River in the area of Gaul. But if you cross over that river, that will mean war between Rome and you. And as he was crossing over the Rubicon to engage the forces of the Roman Senate, this is what he said. It's a familiar saying, the die is cast. What was he saying? I've crossed the boundary, and I know that in crossing the boundary, this means war. When we deliberately go against what we know is God's word, as David did, we cross the boundary of God's law, and in effect, we are at war with God. Now, those of us who know Jesus still have the capacity to cross that boundary. Perhaps you've crossed it this past week. You thought about it, you calculated the cost, And you said, well, I'm under grace. God's not going to kick me out of his family. I'm going to go ahead and cross over the line. We don't know exactly the thought process that David went through before he committed the sins which he committed. But we do know that he was aware of what he was doing. He crossed over the line. He uses the word here also in verse 2, iniquity. And the word literally means perversion. It carries with it the idea of total depravity. And every human being is totally depraved. Now, some of us are more wicked than others in our outward expression of our sin. But each of us 
is totally sinful in every area of our lives. There's nothing in us that would recommend us to God. Now, the last word that he uses is the word sin itself. And we see this word reflected in the New Testament word, which is used in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's the idea of missing the mark. This word, by the way, in Hebrew is used in Judges 20, verse 16, when the writer of Judges talks about 700, some of you guys will like this, 700 choice young men who were taken out of the tribe of Benjamin, and they were all left-handed. And they were so accurate in the slinging of stones that the Bible says that every time they would sling a stone with their left hand, they could hit a hair. They missed none of it. They never missed the mark. They never sinned. Now, the truth is, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. David was a man who transgressed the law. He was a man of iniquity. He was a man who missed the mark because we know that the chief end of man is to glorify God. And David was not glorifying God in his sin. When anything but God's glory is the aim of my life, then I have sinned. Now, what caused David to admit his sin to God? Well, you probably caught it as you were reading through the passage of Scripture. First of all, he was haunted by his sin. The Bible says in Numbers 32:23, be sure your sin will find you out. Eventually, your sin will find you out. Have you ever had that haunting in your life? One of the things that I have, and this is a bad thing to admit, but it's the truth, prided myself in is always being a person of honesty, always speaking the truth. So when I do lie, which I do occasionally, the last time I could remember, the best I could calculate was four years ago when I lied to a man, and I was haunted by that. I lied to him. It was a stupid thing. And usually lying is always stupid. I lied to him. And the Holy Spirit began to haunt me. I knew it was sin. I knew I had to call the man immediately. Within 24 hours, I said, Joe, I've got to talk to you. I've got to get with you and explain to you that I have lied to you. Will you forgive me? Now, he was very gracious to forgive me. But when you think about David's life and how his sin, he says in this passage of Scripture, was always before him. Don't you know he agonized over that? Do you know how long that sin festered in his soul? At least a year, probably, it festered in his soul. And once he came clean with God, it was such a relief. Perhaps you've had some kind of physical ailment that really you dreaded it being repaired. Have you ever had that like a bad tooth? Or maybe I remember a boil which I had on my arm and I kept it secret from my mother for days because I did not want to go. I heard these horror stories about when you'd have a boil, you'd have to go to the doctor and have it lanced. And I could just think, oh my goodness, that's going to be terrible. But finally, my mother took me to get it lanced. And when it was lanced, it was such a relief, man. All that I'm not going to say what came in. It was just junk came out of it. It was gross. But once that stuff was gone, it was such a relief. It didn't hold a candle, that is, the lancing, to the pain that was created over that length of time, over a week, by the way. And this is true with our own sin. Our sin is always before us. And when we finally confess it to the Lord and name it as, call it what He's called it, then there's this relief which follows. He also had heard God's Word. That's how He really got to the point of admitting his sin. Have you noticed how when you've got some sin in your life that you tend not to want to read the Bible? Is that true of you? You don't want to pick it up for any reason. You don't want to come hear a sermon. You don't want to hear anything about God's Word. 
But the Bible itself says this about itself. God says, my word is like a fire. It's like a hammer that breaks a rock. And that's exactly what David experienced in his life. And it's what we experience when God begins to convict us by the Holy Spirit when we have sinned. David saw that his sin was against God. Did you notice that? When he says here in verse 4, against you, you only, I have sinned. You and you only, I have sinned. This is the final deterrent against sin, I think, in a believer's life. When we realize that mainly our sin is not against the one that we offended, David's primary sin was not against Bathsheba. It was not against Uriah. It was against God. And we need to understand that if we're going to have any degree of victory over sin, we're going to have to realize that our sin hurts a holy God. Joseph in the Old Testament understood this when he was being probably daily enticed to sin with his master's wife. Come to bed, she said. Come to bed with me. Here was a young teenager, the prime of his sexual prowess probably, being asked to come to bed over and over again. And do you remember what he said to her? How can I do such a thing? And you would think he might say, and sin against your husband and my master, Potiphar. That's not what he said. How can I do such a thing and sin against my God? David understood that. Joseph understood it long before David understood it. And all of us, we need to understand this if we're going to be people who have pardon for our sin, purity of heart, and we overcome sin. Well, David's pardon for sin and purity of his heart also depended upon his appealing to God for forgiveness. This really is a psalm of confession, but it's also a song, a psalm rather of petition, isn't it? Asking God to forgive him. David appealed to God on the basis of David's own awareness that David could do nothing about his sin. Look at the opening remarks. Be gracious to me, O God. The word gracious in some translations and probably more accurately is translated, be merciful to me, O God. Are you aware of the fact that mercy is the only basis for our approaching God? It's the only basis. If we were to approach God on the basis of his justice, he would just snuff us out in an instant because of our sin. But in his mercy, which is God's goodness shown to those who are in misery or in distress. Our sin is, makes us miserable. It causes us great distress. In His mercy, what God does is He responds to us in grace. And He goes on to say in verse 1, according to the greatness of your compassion. So it's not only God's mercy, it's His compassion, also His great love, His steadfast love. The word compassion is a word that suggests an emotional response of God's tender warmth. It's used once again in relationship to Joseph. You may know the story of Joseph, how he was separated from his brother Benjamin. He hadn't seen him, basically. And when Benjamin came, what was Joseph's response? He wept when he saw his brother. He wept. It was an emotional response. And the word used to describe the motivation for his weeping is the word that is used here by David. He showed compassion. Now, consider the comprehensive nature of God's forgiveness seen in the words that David chose to describe the way in which he was hoping and he experienced God's mercy. Look again at verse 1, the last part. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. The word translated blot out is a word which means 
to erase writing from a book. And it was probably most often used to erase an indictment against a criminal in a legal brief is the way it was more than likely used. Now, you see the connection there between what David was experiencing and what we experience in our sin. I hope hope it's clear that that's the case. Well, there's an illustration of this. In antiquity, you may know that materials for recording things were very scarce, therefore very valuable. So once someone had used a piece of papyrus to record something and that information was no longer needed, what would happen is the scribe would come in and carefully erase everything that was on there, just erase everything that was on there, like the writing on this page. And then what he would do, he would turn it this way and write over it again using it so that it would not be wasted. And that really is a picture of what God does in our lives when we sin and we confess our sin to the Lord and we repent of our sin. It's not just enough, by the way, to confess your sin. We tend to just stop at that point. But the Bible says unless we confess and forsake our sin, our sin will not be blocked out by God. This is what God calls us to repentance, not merely to confession. But once that happens, what the Lord does, He writes a different message on the page of our lives, doesn't He? He writes, saved by the blood of Christ, pardoned by the grace of God across our lives. He did that for David, and he does that for us whenever we confess our sins and forsake our sins. In 1944, during World War II, a tragedy occurred in a tiny Italian alpine village known as Marzabato. 1,830 people in that village were massacred under the leadership of an SS major by the name of Walter Reeder. In 1984, 40 years after this heinous crime was committed, Reeder wrote a letter to the citizenry, particularly to those who had had loved ones who were massacred during that time or themselves had been hurt very severely during that time physically. And it was a sincere letter of apology asking for forgiveness. A town meeting was held. The city was much smaller by this time due to the massacre in 1944. A lady by the name of Corina Fiore, who lost 11 of her family, went to the microphone in the community center. And this is what she said, never to read her. Then another lady, Orfeo Cavazza, had to be led to the microphone because she was blind. And this is what she said. I say no to reader who gouged out my eyes so that I could never see. When the time came for a vote, after 149 had described the horrors of this crime, the vote was 237 not to forgive reader, but one to forgive him. The one, a lady named Lucia Sabioni, said, I wanted to show generosity. You know, God's vote for David was to show generosity. David had not just killed Uriah. Thirty other men had died, too. But in his great mercy, God showed this kind of compassion to David. Turn to Psalm 103. Let's begin with verse 8. This is a psalm of David. 
Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us. He will keep His anger, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. David knew of what he spoke here. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Just as the Father has compassion on His children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. That's our God. That's the heart of our God. In Isaiah 38:17, this is what the prophet writes. You have put all my sins behind my back. Your back, rather. You've put all my sins behind your back. What does that mean? Once we confess our sins, once God has done His work of cleansing us of our sins, it's gone. He never sees it again. And that's such a wonderful thing. And certainly David experienced that in his life. Another word that David uses regarding the forgiveness of sin is wash away. In verse 2, washing away his iniquity. This word simply means to make clean and soft by treading and beating a piece of cloth in cold water. And the other word here is cleanse. Cleanse me from my sin. The word literally means descend me, is what it really means. And it's to be done with hyssop. And hyssop was a plant sponge-like in character that was used in the ceremonial law of Israel. Whenever blood needed to be applied, the priest would come and take a piece of hyssop drop it into the blood, and sprinkle it on the thing which needed to be cleansing. Now, certainly, this is a foreshadowing of what God was going to do for us through Jesus Christ, is it not? He cleanses us by the blood of Christ. For without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, there is no forgiveness of sin. Only Christ's blood forgives us from sin. Now, God, David wanted forgiveness so he could change. This is the part that really speaks to me. Look at verses 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. See, David wanted inward renewal. And this is the true test of whether we're really sincere. Do we want to really change inwardly? Or is this something which we reserve just for external things? We want to be changed inwardly. David says, create in me. The word which he chooses for create is the word which he uses, God uses, in Genesis chapter 1. It's used three times in Genesis 1. It's never used in relationship to a man or a woman doing anything creative. It's only and always used of God's doing a creative act. In Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1:21, God created self-conscious life in the form of animals. In Genesis 1:27, the Bible says God created man. That's God-conscious life. So what David knew is what we all must know. If we're going to be made right with God, we cannot do anything about it except plead for the mercy of God. The good news for us is we have a loving, merciful, compassionate God who responds when people are genuine in their outpouring of their confession before the Lord and asking God to create in them a clean heart. 
a pure heart. This word pure is used to describe pure gold in the Old Testament and a steadfast spirit. Well, let me rapidly draw this time we're sharing together to a close by making one more observation from Psalm 51. Pardon for sin and purity of heart depends on our confessing our sin to the Lord, admitting it. It depends upon our appealing to God for His forgiveness. But it also involves our anticipation of God's restoring us to Himself. This is the good news. We have this kind of God. Verses 6 through 8, David uses future tense verbs suggesting that he knew he would be taught by God's Spirit again. He had that hope. He knew he would be forgiven. He knew he would be joyful. He knew he would be used by God again. Now, this is why I believe in this prayer where he prays in verse 11, Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, we believe that once you receive Christ, He never leaves. If you really have received it, if you really know Jesus, and He lives in us by His Spirit. So, David could not have been thinking about losing the Holy Spirit. What was he getting at here? This is what he was getting at. David understood that he could not be king, he could not be a poet, he could not be a warrior, he could not be a father, he could not be a husband, he could not do anything apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he knew. And he knew also what anybody who has ever fallen into sin, as he had fallen into sin, he knew what it was like to be used by God. Now, is there anybody here who knows what it's like to be used by God? Kids, do you know what it's like to be used by God? You know what it's like. Well, let me tell you, it's an awful thing to feel like you've been sidelined by sin. It's an awful thing once you've been used by God. It's a terrible thing. And David understood that. He wanted to be used by God again. He realized if he was going to be used by God, God's Spirit was the one who had to do it. It had nothing to do with his ability. It had everything to do with his availability to the Holy Spirit of God. And he knew also, in this regard, that he would spread the good news through the song of praise that he was going to produce here in Psalm 51. He produced this. Psalm 32 is another product of this experience. There perhaps are other psalms which followed because in 2 Samuel 23:2, the last song that David composed, this is what he said, The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. Do you want the Spirit of the Lord to speak through you? I sure want him to speak through me, and I'm not talking about when I get up to speak here. Yes, I want that to occur. But more importantly, I want him to speak through me routinely. And you should too. That God would speak through us to touch people for Christ for eternity. David understood that. Well, David would be able to worship God again also. Wow. Without brokenness, however... There can be no true worship of God. Look at verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. To obey is better than sacrifice, the Bible says, and to hearken than the fat of rams. God's most interested not in what I sacrifice. What is God most interested in from me? He's most interested in my heart. Am I broken before him? And David would be used by the Lord in a way probably unlike he had been used to this point. Because to this point, he had lived pretty much a perfect life. We know he was not perfect, but you know what I mean. 
He hadn't blown it big time. He had not been the one who had transgressed a lot. There's a message here for you men, okay? You men especially. I don't know about the ladies, but I'm going to just leave this message for us, we males, especially as we enter into middle age. David was a middle-aged man. We don't know exactly how old he was, probably in his early 50s, maybe a little older, maybe a little younger. But here's the message for us. We can walk with God as David did from his youth and really blow it in our middle age. And the person who thinks he would never fall into the kind of sin that David fell in, be careful, you'd better think again. Because the very fact that you think that way is an indication that you're walking on very thin ice. Because it's only one step over the line. Remember what transgression is? Remember what God said to David through Nathan? Why do you despise the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? God's calling us as individuals. And he's calling us as a church to be a pure church. To be a holy church. God wants to use us. And he wants to purify us. In order for that to happen, in order for that to occur, we have to respond to the work of the Spirit in our lives and confess our sin to the Lord where it's appropriate. We don't have to make stuff up that we need to confess. Some people labor under false guilt. This is not about false guilt. This is about responding properly to the Lord with regard to sin in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray this prayer that David prayed to create in us a clean heart and to renew a right spirit within us. And we ask that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand together as we're going to have our time of commitment and we'll be here to receive anyone who might come for prayer.